Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. Welcome to it. Uh, today is September 27th. That is the day we're dropping this episode. Uh, September 27th is also the birth date of me. 58 years ago today, I was born. 58 years ago, I was born. I don't know. I've lived so many lives. And I know that I'm getting older, but I don't always see it. I don't, I do feel it. I know some people are like, I don't feel older. I do feel older. I'm highly attentive to, uh, to my body, to my brain. I believe I'm aging okay. I think one of the reasons is because I have no children. I don't have any horses in this race. Is that how it goes? I have no children. So that means I do not really see myself aging in the same way some people do. Uh, as their children get older, they can see themselves dying. Uh, I don't have that. And that's cynical. And also see their kids growing, and it's a beautiful thing, I imagine. But uh, I don't get it. And when I look in the mirror, I don't see myself as aging. I see I'm older. I get it. I know I look different than I used to, but I don't really know until I look at pictures that uh, that I'm 58 years old. Because when I look at pictures, I'm like, look at that old head. Look at that. Look at that old head doesn't matter what, what I wear. It doesn't matter which boots, which hipster pants, which Western shirts. Right on top of it, there's an old head sitting there. Nice shirt, old head. Yeah, that's what's happening. I know. I see it. But uh, I'm grateful to be alive. I'm grateful to process, I guess. I know I've been a bit dark lately, perhaps a bit dry, as they say in the recovery racket. But I, I'm plugging along. You know, we had a good time in Portland and Seattle. The set's coming along. But uh, we can talk about that in a second. I, On the show today, I talked to BJ Novak. And those of you who know the history of me and the history of this show know that, uh, yeah, BJ and I, are, oh, it's really only me. I, it's a one-sided issue that I've had with that guy over the years. And it's really just basic, uh, petty uh, resentment uh, that's all it ever was really just old comic i don't i'm not bitter but i do get jealous and i do get resentful but you know bj if you don't know anything about this thing that i'm talking about uh you know him from the office and movies like inglorious bastards and his children's books are popular he also has a new anthology show called the premise 
But my trip with him was years ago when he arrived on the scene. He was a contemporary of my ex-wife, Mishnah's, who was also a comic. And I see him around. He's younger than me. But uh, he was just one of those guys. It was uh, it was it was never he was never going to struggle in the way that some of us struggle. He was always going to be employed. He was always going to be given opportunities. And it's some it's it's. It's a mixture of things, I guess, but in the immediate sense, back then certainly, uh, he had tried. You know, he tried his hand at stand-up. He wrote some good jokes, uh, and then he just he, he could do whatever he wanted. He became a writer and an actor, and did movies, and now writes movies. Now he's got a show. Uh, he came out of Harvard, so that was another thing to hang on him. There was a lot of personal projections that I was making onto him, all of them bad, and in. On my show, Marin, every season I, I somehow wedged in a B.J. Novak reference, just kind of busting balls, just kind of taking a taking a shot. But it's there almost, I think it's on every season. I think every season of the show, I went out of my way to uh, bust B.J. Novak's balls. And he and I'll bring this up to him. He uh, he. The last time I saw him before this interview, I think he I for some reason he was on the patio of the comedy store with somebody. I don't know why he was. I don't think he does stand up anymore. I'll ask him. But he just said to me, I said, how you doing? He goes, you know, we're cosmically connected. And I think I said, yes, yes, I did that. I did that. So it was only it's one sided, though. But, you you know, it's my side. and, And God knows that. Whatever intensity I bring to the world, I've alienated a lot of people. And I I feel like I'm doing it again, actually, to be honest with you. Dean and I went to Seattle and uh, Portland. We did a show at the Neptune. Nice sold-out shows, all three. Uh, I've chosen to do... I did a smaller venue in Seattle than the last time. Neptune, I believe, the Neptune Theater, was where I did my first theater show ever. Uh, The last time I was in Seattle, I did the more. I remember Lynn came... Um, and that's a huge place. And I'm just sort of like, I don't need it. Uh, from what I understand, ticket sales are okay for most people, but it's still a little crimped by the fact that the pandemic is not over. But a lot of people that came out to see us, to see me, it was their first time out in like, uh, 19, 18, 19 months. Very excited. A very interesting energy, a kind of a frenetic vibe, but we took some time up there. We went up there a day early cause I like Seattle. I like the climate. And, you know, Dean and I usually tried to do a bunch of stuff, get some good food. I was looking for a guitar. There was a lot of drama around a guitar shop that went down on Instagram because I was like, look, I was treated like shit at a guitar shop. Look, I'm just a guy going in. We were excited, man. And I don't want to bring it up. I don't want to bring up the name again. You know, it's done. You know, it caught it caused such a shitstorm. you know, mostly, you know, a pile on on the guitar shop. But I did realize something from that is that any sort of grievance, any sort of need for petty justice. Now, I'm not talking big justice. I'm not talking uh, broad spectrum righteousness. Just any public acknowledgement of an injustice, a minor one in this case, just being treated like a fucking you know douchebag and then posting it. It just attracts hundreds and hundreds of grievance junkies that everybody wants an outlet to sort of air their grievance or to say, fuck yeah, fuck you, fuck that. And it struck me after I went through this that that is what's going on culturally, politically in our discourse is that in this time of 
environmental catastrophe and political chaos and uh, impending fascism and a feeling of powerlessness on behalf of everybody in this time of plague that everybody is looking for an outlet for their anger, for their their feelings of powerlessness, for their needs their need to be vindicated or, or their need for, for relief by having their grievance addressed. And this is the two sides of it. There are two sides of it. It's a battle of petty grievances or made up bullshit. But this is the deal. The deal is like somehow or another, the idea of surrendering to the reality that we're all fucked, that the only grievance we should all have is on some level we're fucked and that there are people in our lives and in our cities that we don't know who are much more fucked than us. But on some level, we're all kind of responsible for the fucking. And, and that's it. We all feel powerless in the face of things out of our control. So how do we kind of meet our grievances in the middle? Like there's the, I don't think there's any way to like what they used to call cross the aisle, but it's not, this isn't about politics anymore. There's no reaching out. People are just pissed off, feel powerlessness. And at the edge of it, you, you know, there's a crackling, there's an undoing, there's an impending sense of chaos and doom uh, on, on a lot of levels, cultural level, social level, environmental level, and uh, a disease level. So how do we go on thinking everything's going to be okay, or at least even honoring the patterns that we, we've grown used to in our lives. Now, I don't know if there's a way to get us all on the same grievance. It's, it's really only a few, and we all have them. And if we were able to come together and understand the, the righteous grievances, then you know, amazing things could happen, maybe. Maybe. At least a slight corrective. But if everybody's like, no, fuck you. No, fuck you. Fuck this. Yeah, you show them. You show them. You're fucking wrong. You're fucking wrong. You don't know what the truth is. You don't know what the truth is. Where are you getting your information? Where are you getting your information? It's all fucking distraction. We're all just being puppeted by people that want us to fucking complain and argue as they fucking rape the world and turn out our goddamn desires uh, to keep profits going. That sounded a little heavy-handed, but uh, but you but if you notice, you know, any opportunity to air grievances aggressively, so much more satisfying to people. Anger landing is more satisfying to people than acknowledging powerlessness, surrendering to the reality that we have, and trying to figure out how to come together and fix it. That said, I did go to another guitar store and bought a, a beautiful Stratocaster, which is what I was looking for. I didn't break the bank. I got a relic. I got a nice one. It, there, I'd say that the purchase had, it was about 20% spite uh, against the first guitar shop. The place I did get the guitar is Thunder Road Guitars in Seattle, who were very nice to me. And uh, I was, uh, look, I don't need another guitar. I'm fortunate to be able to get one. I'm not a great guitar player. I'm not a professional guitar player, but it is my hobby. And uh, it really is. It's it's really the only hobby I have. And now my life is uh, complete and everything is good. That's my birthday present to me. Thank you, Mark. BJ Novak and I tried to uh, bridge the gap. Uh, the Premise, his new show, is streaming now on FX on Hulu with new episodes every Thursday. And this is us. Well, me trying to... Uh, 
make things right. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. So it's like a 50s house, pipe burst. Yeah. I don't understand. You think that plumbing is simple. It's not simple. I never thought it was simple. Never? No. Huh. It looks complex to me. I have no aptitude for (laughs) understanding. uh, That? No, I don't. You do. I can tell. (laughs) Why do you think that? I think you have a sense of mechanics, just looking around the room. Guitars, anyone who likes guitars likes gear. They like how things work. But I I get a lot of the guitars for free. I'm not a gear nerd. No, look at you. I'm not flexing. I'm just, I, uh, what it I, sounds a little flexy, but, but now, what you I'm deserve doing, it. What I'm doing is I'm trying to prove to you that I'm not a gearhead. I don't oh. know. I don't know half about. I don't know much about any of this shit. Okay, but I can. I can work a tool. Yeah, you telling me you can't do a tool? I can do like a wrench. Right, like a wrench. Do, so you can put together an IKEA thing. Right. I don't even like props as an actor. I'm like I can't hold this pen. Well, that's terrible. Yeah. Eating. Pens, terrible. Yeah, terrible. Then, then you're worried about you're worried about continuity. It's all of a sudden your issue. I worked when, with James Spader once, and yeah. he is from an acting school where it's all about the props. <laughs> yes. He would walk through scenes like, all right, so I'll, I'll put the pen down here, and then I'll pick up the cup of coffee yeah. here, and then I'll finally touch the doorknob and yeah. out. That's I how he that. plans a scene. I think I it's a school, that. yeah. I don't know if it's a school. I think it's how guys who've been doing it a long time keep it interesting. Because I worked with uh, Eric Stoltz uh, on my show, and uh, he really wanted to eat. And he wanted, in, and it was a thing. He wanted to eat the salad. Like if you put food in front of me in a scene, I'm going to do everything I can not to be eating. I'll, I'll yeah. hold a fork. Right. I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll act like I just swallowed something. Yep. But uh, the chewing and eating, don't want to do yeah. it. Let yeah. Let me let me talk and look around. <laughs> yeah. And maybe put a fork down. I'll put the fork down. Yeah. Just finished. Um. What am I doing here? What do you mean? Why'd you invite me? Because you got a show out. Oh yeah, sure. But like, Mark, come on. <laughs> What? Well, we know how you feel about me. Well, that was uh, that's the old Mark. I don't know. Is it the old Mark? Or well, kind of? Yeah, for the most you know, part. I just, I'm a fan. I was just listening to um, your interview. <laughs> just, You're just a fan. You're <laughs> no, I. You know, yeah. sure. Okay. I mean, I'm not going to not listen. Um, mm-hmm. But you were just saying like two two episodes ago, like your first impression. You never shake a first impression of somebody. Well, I think what happened I know. Was- I've heard you. I've heard you break open. Mm-hmm. You know, of course. So yeah. I, I I believe what you're saying, but I also believe like. Come oh, on. well, I mean, it, but shaking a first impression and that first impression being reasonable or correct uh, are two different things. Like if I can't shake something and I know I'm wrong, yeah, I can live with that and I can I can adjust. You can live with it, but I you can never, adjust. in my experience, I always, I have a first instinct 
And then I, I mentally can get yeah. way out of that, but I always revert to my first instinct. Mm. So I think you... Well, I'm, well, maybe I'm just trying to figure it out today. Yeah. Well, that's why I'm here. <laughs> no. To figure something out. No, absolutely not. Okay. You're like, no, I know how I feel. Uh, the last time I saw you was on the porch of the comedy store. I don't know what you were doing there, but you were meeting someone there. Okay. Um, and you came up to me, or I came up to you, and I said, hey, and you looked at me and said, you know we're now cosmically connected. Yep, I do feel that. Yeah, yep. because of me, yep. my behavior. And I said, <laughs> yes, I did that, I did yeah. that. Yep. And you said, okay, I don't remember what you said. Well, I'm in the Marin verse. Yes. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a character in yeah. the Mark Marin world. Your, your name comes up in every season yes, in, in, in a derogatory way. I I, I, I'm, I'm, you didn't watch the show though, did you? I did not watch the show. <laughs> I was told about the show and it did not make me want to watch the show. <laughs> It's that way. But it was, uh, I thought it was good hearted ribbing. It didn't sound, it didn't sound it vicious. It wasn't, no. no, nasty. No. I think that most of what was going on in terms of my opinion of you early on, because I talked about it with my producer, because you did do a live WTF. Yep. I don't think there was a problem. I think we kind of got through some of the stuff. I mean, that, not enough. Here I am. It was 12 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what, okay. what, what bothered me initially about sure, you? Yes. <laughs> I mean, no point coming here without getting- At this? Yeah, getting real. That's the whole fun. Yeah, well, I can be real. It's so hot though, isn't it hot? Or am I just uh, nervous? Am I nervous? You making me nervous, Novak? I I mean, I should be the nervous one. You're not nervous. Yeah, I mean, this is like, this, I, I know this this angle, you know, you're, you're just gonna turn it on me and- What? And, no, and we'll, I've been we'll thinking about, about this for a long time, but I'm not here well, to- what, Well, why don't you tell me, how, like, how, <laughs> is it, how has it made you feel? I mean, do you, is it something that you think about? Like, what's Mark Maron's problem with me? You yeah, know? yeah, a little bit, but I also think, you know, you can't help but be self-conscious, and I think, it, yeah, I, you go through, I went through phases, and then I was yeah. happy, like, you know what? You put yourself out there, yeah, and that's the fun of it. Yeah. Some people just don't like people. Some people like other people. Yeah. Sometimes there's a reason. Sometimes there's no reason. Right. Like, I feel that way about all kinds of people. We do? I, yeah, sure. So you have pe you have problems with people for no reason. And then that you I changed my mind. It. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. But you did enough homework on listening to my show to know that at some point I said first impressions never go away. Yeah. Yeah. Recently. Recently. Yeah. Do, how, do you listen to the podcast? Casually? I listen a lot. Not oh, always. Yeah. 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 Well, I think the original problem was just you know basic jealousy, resentment. You know, probably like because I think that on some level, I've I've kind of had to put it into some perspective after watching five episodes of the premise. Five. I watched all the ones that were available. Wow, thank you. Yeah. Uh, I I bought a copy of your dad's book, uh, the uh, the Jewish uh, uh -huh. humor book, the the edited Jewish mm -hmm. humor book, the big book of Jewish humor, the big book the big book of Jewish humor. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I found it, I don't know why, maybe someone sent it to me, but uh, but that was your dad. You grew up with that book. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. was an important book. Very important book, yeah. In your in your family. Yeah, yeah. And in all Jewish families. It's almost it's in like every- It's like the classic bar mitzvah gift, yeah. Because <laughs> it makes being Jewish kind of fun. Yeah. You know, it's better than like the Torah. And then like I started watching the show and in retrospect, I got a copy of the book right here. I brought it out just because I thought I wasn't going to you know, bring it up in some sort of like, look at this, your dad- but it is your dad, and then I watched. Uh, uh, did you write the episode, uh, the butt plug episode? Yes. Like that. That's like a, basically a Jewish joke. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Structurally, yeah, it's, you could it's tell very that, structured. Yeah, you could tell that story with that tag, right? You know, in like five minutes as a joke. Yeah, and then yeah. the game of this was how do you make it feel epic, right? <laughs> sort of like the aristocrats of of a one-liner. Did you you did think of that when you were doing it? Yeah, I mean I thought of sort of how would you how would you add as much possible depth to 
something that simple. So was the, because like the entire, and I'll get back to my uh, original opinion of you, but like, because I did contextualize you in light of my experience with you before, my judgment of you uh, then, and then, you know, your output since. So now, I think after watching the premise Mm -hmm. and and familiarizing myself with uh, your children's book work and your short fiction, Mm And uh, your brief period in stand-up, some of your acting, some of your directing stuff. I, I mean, I thought about you, mm-hmm. and I thought, well, what, you know, how am I going to, uh, to reckon with this, uh, with this guy yeah. in terms of my feelings about him? Let's what are they it. based on? Yes. Well, we are. But what I want to know about the, the oh. premise, the premise of the premise was to deal with topical issues that have some juice to them mm-hmm. culturally uh, in a way, uh, a fictionalized sort of dramedy-ish yeah. kind of form. Take a story, fly into it, yeah, and uh, sort of what Black Mirror does for tech. It feels, it's, it feels Black Mirror, yeah. but not I like not Black Mirror, menacing. but this is more like, yeah, this is the comedy drama of, of real life, not Yeah, yeah I can if. feel the Black Mirror influence, but the yeah. person who may, I don't know who. Charlie Brooker. Char- Charlie Brooker? Yeah. Does he talk in front of each episode? Just... No, but he does He does another show where he does talk. About Screen that? Wipe. No, oh, he just, he's also a host. I don't know why he doesn't host. I mean, now, I think that show makes... The idea of hosting yeah. and having your face on the billboard, what, what was that? <sighs> um, the billboard was not my call. Um, but the... it's like Rod Sterling. It's not yeah, that Yeah, well, I did now. like... Yeah. I liked the idea. It sounds like you don't. I liked the idea of hosting because I thought, well, let's. I like when Rod Serling came on. I like when Hitchcock came on. I like the idea that there is someone showing you something. I didn't see. I, only, I didn't see any of those. Oh, you didn't. Because I, I saw okay, the screeners. Got it. got it. I was gonna watch. They're very very brief. I was but gonna it just watch. Gives a little flavor character of the first one pro- yeah. is on now. Yeah, currently. the first two so, are on. Yeah. Oh, they are. Yeah. And so by I the time this watched, airs, three. Yeah. Yeah, I could have watched the talking. Yeah, you can. I, I, do, I don't think you'll it. like it. <laughs> Why wouldn't I like it? Well, I mean, I'm just, maybe funny? I'm overthinking our relationship. Is it's, it? it's a little funny. I mean, it's like 10 seconds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just like, hey, guys, here it is. And I try to be a little funny or tease it a bit. But right. it's really just to give some some character. Well, yeah. Season. Well, I mean, how many did you write? You wrote all of them? I wrote or co-wrote all of them, yeah. Because I thought you got some real good acting out of people yeah, somehow. thanks. I mean, Bernthal, that's probably as good as I've seen him. He's amazing. But I also thought the guy that played the... Uh, in the butt plug guy. That guy was Yeah, great. he's amazing. Eric Lang. I don't know who... I think I've seen him he around. He was in Escape I... from Danamora, where he oh, was amazing. Yeah, 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 and then yeah, Daniel yeah. Day Kim, of course, is very... Yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's great. So you got good actors. And, great actors, And yeah. uh, the guy who played Justin Bieber, for, I forget his name. Lucas Hedges. He's great. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. And the girl was in uh, Lynn's movies and, and Booksmart. Caitlin Deaver, yeah. Yeah, she's good. So a lot of good acting. Yeah. And the the first episode about the uh, the white uh, the sort of liberal fraud ish mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that's the first one that's social on. justice sex tape, social yeah. justice sex tape yeah so you're thinking about this so how does the writing process start for you you're like well this is you know a hot topic I know people like this guy I might be kind of like this guy you know how do we sort of uh, unpack the the bullshit it, of that it goes the other direction for me I think what is funny. And really? I, yeah, I think what is funny, and then the only ideas that survive are the ones, oh, you could actually go a little deeper there. So what's funny to me is what if you saw, you know, a police brutality racial incident on the in the deep background of your sex tape. That was the original idea? That's yeah. what you, uh, like, you were, one day you were like, okay. Well, the first idea was what if, the first idea was what if a guy had an affair, filmed it. Yeah. And then saw 
a ghost in it, like a supernatural ghost with a prophecy, yeah. but couldn't show it to anybody. Right. Because like he wasn't supposed to film it. He, he was cheating. Yeah. You know, basically how, what, what the hell does he do with this prophecy? And then it, you know, I was just talking about it with Dan Mintz actually, um, who helped out on my show. Did he? Mm-hmm. You and, guys are still buddies? Oh yeah. 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 Really good friends. Did and, you go to school together? Mm-hmm. At Harvard? Yep. Right. Uh, so anyway, he yeah. was the one who said, well, what if it's, you know, it was during all of that. And then that, you know, that thought, oh my God, that's so rich. All these characters who were the lawyers, who's yeah. the defendant, yeah. who's the guy. Right. And then it became depth. But, you know, I, I, you remember me from the early days. I'm a one-liner guy. So it's basically what are the one-liners that could turn into that had depth and those are the ones that became episodes. I guess you're a one-liner guy, but it seems like there, there's almost something like- I, think, I was, I was. Right, you're, as a comic, yeah. yeah. But not generally as a writer. Obviously, you've, right, you've right, moved right. on from there. Yep. But but there are you know there are intellectual conceits here, yep. right? And you know a lot of that stuff. There there's an exercise in these in these episodes. I think the the uh, the cross examination, the second cross examination of the white liberal guy. Mm-hmm. You know that to to deconstruct that personality. That that was sort of a, a an intellectual exercise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and then there was the the when she goes for the valedictorian in that one where she kind of lays out that thing for Ed Asner in the virtual reality mm-hmm. that is definitely that's almost a term paper yeah I mean I like that kind of no, thing no no I, I do, I do. I'm, I, just, I'm just trying to get no no but I'm saying like some yeah. people don't I really do I like Oscar Wilde I like people that have things that get quoted that can be pulled out as pieces that can stand alone that, that are jagged that you know Team America that famous scene with dicks and pussies and assholes like right. to me that's the legacy of Team America right. it's not that Team America is a perfectly structured movie it just it went for sure. philosophical swings no no and yeah. I think for a half hour show that's kind of why I wanted to do these self-standing stories because for me it's sort of like not what's the meme of it but what do you what's the memorable part well also like even in the corporate kind of presentation yeah. of that guy yeah. I the mean butt that, plug. the butt plug yeah that you know that was sort of uh, uh, satirizing that type of presentation at, to the point where you know it becomes convincing that you had to right. well that think of a context through which initially uh, whatever his analysis was, despite the fact that they were uncomfortable with the buck plug initially, they could apply it to other corporate products. And yes. then by the end of it, they're like, well, maybe a butt plug right. okay. What's right. a butt plug that could change the world? And right. then I have to go out and write a presentation that convinces people like, yeah, that could be the And iPhone. you wrote that? Yeah. All of that. Mm-hmm. So what were you basing that on? Well, that, not to give away the episode, although <laughs> certainly you could... You could maybe see it coming, but that's the whole tension of the episode. No, I get it, but that presentation. Oh, the presentation? Yeah, did you like do research or did you watch other presentations? I did research to the extent of, okay, what are the numbers? How could you justify this? Right, oh, right. How could it save lives? Those are real numbers? Yeah, those are real numbers. So did you have to sit there with How many lives could you save if it had a colonoscopy camera in the butt (laughs) plug and if you could do this and that? But were you pitching that around with people or that was just a That was solo, yeah. I had a little help. Um, a little help from a couple of writers, but that was basically me. Yeah. No one else is going to write butt plug like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I <laughs> well, that's, well, that's sort of one of those ones where it's, it's very much like Black Miller, Mirror. In, in, well, in yes structure. and no. Yes. And in structure. Yeah. 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 Just yeah. like, you know, the title. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, where are we going with yeah, this? Yeah. And how seriously can you take something? And it's like about and, and, and sort of the, the, the moral is the bullying business. Mm-hmm. Or the moral question, way. because yeah. both of these men can't escape it. Yes, yes. But it's got a double punch. 
Yes, it sort of does. Yeah, like and and the second punch, sort of like it it, it diminishes a little bit the first punch because you're like yes, correct. Yeah, 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 both of them have these psychoses due to their trauma in a sense. Uh huh. You know, or not, yeah. and I, one of them does. Yeah. Yeah. So after watching this and 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 seeing these parts uh, in these in the in the shows where you know you think you say they're memorable and they're philosophical, well they are, but. There are also things that your brain works on. So like in looking at the arc of who you are and what my reaction to you initially was, mm-hmm. was just that like, you know, this guy's a disciplined motherfucker who is, you know, going to, who has a an understanding of whatever his talent is. He knows its limitations to some degree and he knows how to apply it to whatever it is that he wants to accomplish and he will achieve those things. And to me, you know, that is uh, enviable and and also makes me wonder, like, well, I mean, I knew you as a comic, you know, briefly. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you at the time knew enough, not unlike many guys I started out with, that you didn't want to be a comic for life because it was not something you were going to be able to do and make the big money. Uh, I did at the time. Whatever I do, I commit to. I mean, in retro, I don't think anyone thought I was going to be it forever. And I, I see what you see look back. But in, when I was in it, I was like... I gotta, I gotta be the best ever. I gotta, I gotta. But you were already writing television. I was between. Uh-huh. I was between that when I started. So, oh, yeah. so you got to be the best ever. Whatever I do, I, I start like that, and then yeah, you know, yeah. Huh. <laughs> the and grin you on your face, you're like, I don't know if I saw that in you. <laughs> but no, you but could I be mean, fine. No, but I mean, um, I get it. I, but I, I, but I'm trying. I'm just comparing you to me because that's all I can do. Because I'm like relatively well, narcissistic. Did you ever, yeah, and 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 I, but I've gained some empathy. Over time, if mm-hmm. I've gained anything, yeah. it's it's a broadening of my empathy. What were you going to ask me? Did you? And I think I know the answer. I think you vacillate, knowing you between in your in your life. I'm I'm the greatest and I'm the worst, right? Well, no, I don't. I don't know that I ever think uh, like I'm competitive, mm-hmm. and I knew I wanted to be a great comic. I don't know that I would ever believe I'm the greatest. Oh, I never yeah. wanted to be the greatest. I'm right. like, oh, I'm going to be great. Yeah, I do. I, <clears throat> I do believe I've done good work and I'm somewhat underappreciated. So that might be a problem between you and I is that you do at that time okay work. And, and overappreciate. Overappreciate. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I don't know, you know why that is. Do you? Um, I think my I, I think my work was good and on the path to very good. I think it was um, it was just easily more easily sellable. But what do you think? I, uh, yeah, I mean, as a writer, you could say, sure. okay, this guy writes tight jokes. Right. As a persona, it's like okay, you could plug him into whatever. Right. Yeah. But I guess my my assumption, not unlike any other uh, bitter old man who uh, who does comedy, because I we talked about that time where. Where, you know, I did, I went on stage after you. Mm-hmm. We talked about it on the original podcast because I was sort of hung up with it. And it was probably closer to, uh, you know, because I watched you do your jokes. Mm-hmm. And then I went, went up there and just kind of riffed yeah. about something yeah. and killed. And you just came up to me and very earnestly said, how do you do that? I could never do that. Yeah. <laughs> why, why couldn't you do that? Because I wasn't. My, my sort of um, struggle or path, if you yes. use towards empathy is towards um, letting go and opening up and being myself. That is what is very hard for me. So that is why my jokes and my act was so tightly written, so impersonal. Mm. It was how do I write the funniest possible thing yeah. and how do I say it as best I can? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I did fine. You yeah, know, but sure. what you I 
what I could never do and I'd like to be able to do someday is say, here is me and I don't know what to make of this. Mm. And yeah. what do you think? And you still you know? haven't been able to do that? In- I would like to try again and see. But I, not but to stand up in anything. In anything. Um, I think that I come out around the edges like and i think that that a lot of creative people do like my children's book is not personal right but it shows oh okay there is some sort of meta rebellion creativity sure. in me that i didn't get in childhood and yeah this is what i wish my parents had said yeah when they right. read a kid's book and so that is very me yeah but it's certainly not you know autobiographical did your dad write kids books my dad no never did uh i think he might have written a manuscript for one once that he showed me is he no. still around yeah yeah so he was, he did the- He drove he, me here. No. No. <laughs> he edited the big book of the Jewish yeah. humor. He did, he go, he co-wrote a few autobiographies. Yeah. The Lee Iacocca one mm-hmm. and some of Nancy Reagan mm-hmm. and somebody else. Was he a Republican Jew? No. No. Oh. It just, it was just He a did gig. a lot of liberals too, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. His, yeah. I didn't look at his- his uh, his resume. He, he just- He worked with Tip O'Neill. He worked with George Stephanopoulos. Yeah. Oh, wow. Magic Johnson. Yeah. exciting for me. Yeah, do you get to meet Magic Johnson? Yeah, How yeah. old were you when you met him? Oh, I was like 12. It was oh, amazing. Yeah. The best. Yeah, incredible. They still live in New England? My parents, yeah. 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 So what do you, why, why is it? What were you doing? You got How, how many siblings you got? Two younger brothers. How are they doing? They're doing great. Yeah? yeah. They in show business? Um, yes, my middle brother is a composer for TV. He really? Did Bojack Horseman. Music? Yeah. yeah. Did he go to Harvard? No. Oh. He got a job at Bojack Horseman? Yeah, he's a composer for it. That's amazing. Yeah. Is he like uh, Danny Elfman? He worked on my style? show too. He did the, yeah. the Caitlin Deaver episode. Oh, he did. Yep. Um, all right. So, if you weren't, what was it you were brought up with that would you know make you so compulsively kind of uh, competitive and focused to the point where you are still hobbled in being able to That's, be comfortable? That is a great question. I don't know. My parents <laughs> never understood it. They did not put any pressure on me whatsoever. I was like, I'm going all the way. They're like, calm down. Going, like, going all the way. They were the opposite like a, of tiger like, parents. Like yeah. seven? Yeah. Oh, younger. Yeah. Like, what do you, what do you first remember? I where you remember were, somebody. I like, remember asking my dad, he mentions this a lot, if a kid could win the Nobel Prize, yeah. which he thought was hilarious. I meant it. Yeah. Um, I wanted to be an inventor. I wanted to be a billionaire. I wanted to be all kinds of things. Yeah. Like whatever was sort of greatness. Yeah. I just thought that was that was the only thing to do. Right. You know. And you don't remember when- And I do, I'm sure that I there's a flip side like I felt I was nothing unless I did something huge, you know. Right, but like it always comes from that too, but I don't know what that is. But you don't did you have heroes at that age? Einstein? Were, so Einstein was your Like hero whoever you could a, read a kid's book about. Yeah. You know, like who is da da da. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, all so, those people. Einstein. Like the greats, yeah. yeah. Einstein a lot, yeah. Did you go the math direction ever? I you know, it's weird. Like a chemical thing kicks in around puberty when you suddenly continue in math or you don't. I didn't. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was good at math as a thing? kid. Yeah, you were good. I and mean, like, and then yeah, you... I was good in fifth grade. What do you, right, yeah. and that was it. Wasn't a prodigy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then like, you know, they say they say if you want to know if someone's a celebrity, ask them to fill out a form. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just something that <laughs> yeah that you can no longer do. Like, yeah. I was just. 14, I was like, I don't, I don't fuck with math anymore. Yeah, why? Like, I'll, I'll do it. But How are like, you going to impress anybody with math? Uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, so you always had this compulsion to be uh, the best, to be great, to be yeah. famous. Yeah. And to be known for inventing something. Yeah. Hmm. So you think that one's going to happen? Inventing something? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. 
I'm now at the point where I'm trying to make sense of all this. Right. Well, I guess you know. that, that children's book, it's weird about children's book that if you write a good one, which you did, it's forever. Yeah. Yeah. Like you'll be making money off of that. And that is the purest thing I ever did. I That, that is one thing where I... I wasn't like, how do I make a great children's book? I was like, oh my God, I know exactly what to read this three-year-old. I'm yeah. going to go home and write it. Well, you don't have kids. And it's going to crack them up. No, it's my friend's kid. Oh, it's your friend's yeah. kid. You experimented on your friend's kid. Well, don't phrase it like that. No, I know. It's not but, you a know, you, quote. But yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah. would read him books and I was like, oh boy, I know what he's going to like. And I yeah. went home and wrote it. And then did and, you try it out on him? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and he didn't actually like it. But at that point, I was into it. I was like, oh, no, this is going to work. He's just too young. What, you know, tell people what the, the conceit of the, the book, book is. The book with no pictures. And yeah. it's a book where the adult sort of breaks the fourth wall. And it's like, what kind of book is this? And then right. it makes the grown-up say silly words and make fun of themselves right. and protest. But, no, but and there's no pictures. There's no pictures. But the conceit is, I bet you think this book would be boring, but look what it's going to make me do. Right. Um, and yeah. kids love it. Kids love it. That's an amazing thing. That's how you it's didn't invent thing. something. Yeah, well... I didn't, now, is this something you're going to do more of? I'd like to, but I guess I'm I'm a little precious about that because I really do care a lot. I wouldn't just do it for money. I'd, I'd have to To really do another kid's book. Yeah. So you didn't do the first kid's book for money? No. You did it because you wanted to try to write a great children's book. I just book. honestly, like, I, I it sounds so, like like a life lesson. I wanted to make children laugh, honestly. I thought it'd be the most fun thing in the world and I made more money on it than on anything else. And you're so, like, that's the lesson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the lesson. How the, uh, how the short stories in the essays sell? They did fine. Yeah. yeah? They totally did fine. Are you happy with those? Yeah. Did you cram those? Like, once you got the deal, did you write like 12? I, or had books? You been, or no, stories. no, stories. Oh, yeah. yeah, there's 64 stories in the book. I wrote like 200. Yeah. Yeah, I just went on a tear. It was right after The Office and I was like all brain like melted from like eight nine years in a writer's room and i just yeah. wanted to just write on my own every idea that i'd never expressed so early on so you're growing up with no pressure from your parents but this amazing amount of uh, ambition mm-hmm. to be great right so when you're when you're like in your teens what were you doing to uh to to try to figure that out when did you know it was going to be writing or I acting was, or I was always good at writing and I never thought it was anything interesting Do you have a teacher that drove you there Sure or? I mean I would just I, it was my natural thing as yeah. opposed to math but I thought it was like I what didn't did think you, it was anything interesting. What did you write that made you believe you were I don't know, whatever. I would, I would goof off and write a funny essay and oh, yeah? I, I don't know. Really? In high school? Sure. But like, I just thought, well, I'm, I like being funny and they, here's this assignment. But I, again, I didn't think it was cool or anything. And well, then I saw- Were you cool? No. I, mean, I wasn't the, uncool. I always say like, I sat, everyone's like, I sat in the front of the bus. I sat in the back of the bus. I sat in the middle of the bus. Most kids sit in the middle of the bus. That's right. how buses are built. But like I could, was like a normal, I don't know, I wasn't cool, I wasn't uncool. You could move through the groups. You were no, always funny. No, I couldn't because the cool what? kids wouldn't take me in. They wouldn't? No. But so then you weren't cool. I wasn't cool, but I wasn't uncool. <laughs> was you wearing a... I was just like, whatever, he's just uh, a kid. Oh, yeah? He's kind of funny, he's kind of awkward, I don't know. That, oh, so that was it. So you weren't... Well, it's not binary, is it? Kind of. I don't, I didn't see it that way. Well, I mean, maybe it's not, but I, I think that there is a middle zone. I was of, like, you can do your homework and like find a party with weed now and then. Yeah. Like that's where I was. Right. Well, but there is, I feel that there's a middle zone of people that are almost cool and can usually hang out with the cool kids once in a while. Yeah, sure. That's yeah. middle to me. Is that yeah. what you were? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think so. Yeah. Uh, well, I, but I would say I would characterize it more slightly without a sense of, of self and, and kind of a desperate for friends. Okay. Yeah, that's me. 
Yeah. I mean, I don't know. That was my middle. Was that like, I didn't care about jocks. And there were several different factions of cool kids. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't that big a druggie. But I found a crew of guys that I, I thought were, you know, that I really wanted to hang out with. And I tried very hard to do that. Mm-hmm. And, and I succeeded. Yeah. yeah. And you did that probably by being funny. Yeah, funny. Yeah, for and, them. And, and them annoying laugh. and annoying. Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, what I do. I could make the cool kids laugh sometimes. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And then, then you're sort of like, he's all right. And then- yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then there was a senior show at my high school that was like the... It was a big deal at the end of senior year. You write like a parody show. Yeah. And I remember like a, a genuinely cool kid coming up to me in the cafeteria and saying, the word is you're the one to write the senior show. Oh, and yeah. I was like, oh, this is it. This yeah. is my calling. Yeah. I'm the guy that's supposed to write funny things for the cool kids. Yeah. And that's what I've done ever since. And literally John Krasinski was in that high school class with me uh-huh. and started in the show. So, and he like, remembers? Yeah, of course he remembers. You guys were friends he, in high he school? He doesn't remember me? Yeah, we're friendly. Yeah. But, but like was, literally, I've been like, oh, writing for the more popular kids, like and, my whole life. And yeah. Krasinski, yeah. But Including. was he a cool kid? He was a cool kid, yeah. Yeah. Tall. Tall, basketball player. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. But nice guy? Yeah. In high school? Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Not a dick? Nope. Were there dicks? Yeah. Okay. It's high school. <laughs> it was, no, everyone was lovely. Yeah. <laughs> but did you go, would you go to public school? Yeah, like a good public school. In Newton? Newton South, yeah. Yeah, Newton was that area. Like, it's weird too. Like, how Jewish? Because Boston Jews are different. They're not the same as New York. Tell Jews. me. How, yeah, they're 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 they're. I think they try to pass more somehow. Interesting. That there's a like maybe more of them are German Jews. Well, my father is Canadian. Oh, Canadian. And Jew? I have a friend from Montreal. Said, oh, uh, good guess, Toronto. But that's its own thing. Yeah. And a, a female friend once said, "Oh, that's my dream, a Canadian Jew." Yeah. I said, "Why?" She's like, "It takes the edge off." It does. <laughs> yeah, it does. So it's a little yeah. bit of a proper. Well, there's also like the weird thing between like, you know, German Jews and, you know, just standard Ashkenaz Jews. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's a peasant Jew and then there's a German Jew thing. Right. And the well, German closer Jews. closer to peasant Jew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I get it. You look, yeah, you seem like that. I mean, you look kind of yeah. peasant Jew. I'll take it. But uh, but the German Jews are like, they're, they, they're I like wasps. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So you didn't, that wasn't what it was. It was no. a Canadian Jew. Yeah, they just immigrated through Canada. Your mom too? No, uh, Connecticut, like normal. Normal like Jew? Jap girl. Jap girl. Yeah. <laughs> I've never said that, but I guess. <laughs> well, they, I, it's Stanford, a, Connecticut, you know. Yeah, I, I, I get it. But from but originally from New Yorker family or always Connecticut kind of thing? Uh, she was from Stanford. I think her dad lived in Brooklyn you know your and before Romania or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah? Mm-hmm. So you had all the grandparents growing up? No, I had a couple. Yeah. Yeah, and then lost them shortly after. And did you? how Jewy was it for you? I mean, I grew up kosher home. I still kind kosher of kosher home. Kosher home? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's really Jewy. Yeah, yeah. I mean. They still do it? Yeah. No kidding. Yeah, pretty Jewish. So you did Friday and Saturday on your bar mitzvah? I think, I don't, no, I did Saturday in the bar mitzvah. Oh, so like we weren't it. like yeah. Shomer Shabbos, mm-hmm. but. Um, but two, sit, uh, two sets of utensils, yeah, that's yeah. not nothing. Mm-hmm. And do you. Oh, that's uh, real. Yeah. Yeah. So your father was pretty religious? Yep. And still is, yeah. Yeah, still is. Mm-hmm. And how do you feel about it? I'm somewhat religious too. Yeah? Yeah. Do you, do you study Torah? No, <laughs> I don't study Torah currently, no. But have you? I mean, bar mitzvah, yeah, as a kid. But that's just it, huh? Mm-hmm. But you don't you don't read, like, you know, if you look at your dad's- uh, If you handed me a Hebrew book, I wouldn't- No, but I mean, but like just like in, philosophically, no. yeah. like, you know, you're doing a show now that deals philosophically yeah. with issues, yeah. and, and the way that, you know, you present 
Is it influenced in any way by you know your education around Judaism? Oh, completely. It is. Yeah. How I think, so? Well, I think th- there's a structure of comedy that is very, um, you know, how does the unlikely person outsmart somebody? Right. What is sort of the unlikely twist that you could have seen coming if you had thought of it? It's a very structured uh-huh. sense of comedy that I loved yeah. growing up. Right. Uh, yeah. So who were your guys growing up? Well, one that you know, Jonathan Katz. Oh yeah, was like a hero in our house. Does, oh, did you did your folks know him? Yeah, because okay. he lived in Newton. And oh, he right. loomed very large. He was a famous comedian, and his show, Doctor Katz. And he had this out. funny. Well, when when I worked with him, he had the he had the guitar with the the cassette bit, where he would play. Um, he would do the song. I can't remember what it was. He played. I don't remember if it was a guitar or bass, but he would do like a to close. He would do a song that we all knew, and then you know, like it would be his voice just doing it. It was like you know. Um, uh, an old one, save the last dance for me, or something mm-hmm, weird like that. Right, and he would just be singing it, and then out of nowhere, this background voices yes. would happen. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. That's yeah. it. Yeah. What song is that? Uh, save the last dance for me. It is. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. So that was uh, like I used to work with him I, as a comic. Yeah. Like and you he, were on Doctor Katz. I was on Doctor yeah. Katz maybe maybe twice, but like he was like not unlike me. In that scene, you know, uh, there were, it's kind of an un- anomaly because Boston Comedy was not in any way uh, Jewish. Really? Not really. Stephen Wright? He's not Jewish, is he? Stephen Wright? Is he Jewish? I don't think he's Jewish. I assumed. I don't think so. Really? No. Okay. Uh, David Cross? Yeah, but that's bef- that's after. But like the, the core group of the guys who were working, like the clubs in comedy. Okay. Like... Mike McDonald. Oh, that yeah, uh, that Warren Boston McDonald. Uh, then there's Jimmy uh, Tingle. Jimmy Tingle, but he was um, one of the more sophisticated. Yes, he ones. was the sophisticated because he had a theater uh, you know, show. Lenny Clark, yep. Kenny Rogerson, Don Gavin, Kevin Knox, mm-hmm. uh, and who yeah. did the comedy? Connection? Joe Yannetti hosted every. Well, every there week. was one guy, uh, Seisler. Okay. Rich, uh, Rich Seisler, who passed away. Bob Seibel, I don't believe was a Jew. There were all these It's guys. a rough, yeah. Steve Sweeney. Yes, these that's the, the name guys. I was looking for. Yes, yes, sure. yes. Well, these are the guys that, you know, I started comedy opening for those guys on, on one-nighters. Okay. That's how it started for me. Was, okay. There was no alt clubs. And Cross, well, that's a long story. I used to, we kind of, I used to stay at his house all the time. And we've had, <laughs> uh, this is here. This is a good, okay. a good problem. This is similar with 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 you in stand up in a way where I have interviewed David Cross two or three times since you know he's, he he became huge. Like I remember when he left for L.A. with Cross Comedy, which was an improv yeah. or a sketch group, and I went that. on to go to New York to to pursue stand up. So yeah. he came here to do the group thing. I went there, and his stand up was always abstract. It was not. It was hard sell mm-hmm. when you go to Dedham. Mm-hmm. You know, like he tells a story about playing Jimmy's in Dedham and a guy came up out of the audience and bit his ear. They, mm-hmm. But but because of our background as as comics and I and I know him for years and, and you know, he's obviously done great things much, much beyond stand up. Mm-hmm. I've said to him to his face, not thinking it was offensive twice on the radio. Who would have known <laughs> that you would be the guy uh-huh. to get successful? OK. And at some point he just looked at me and goes, I knew I yeah, knew. Yeah. And I'm like, but well, you my, have to feel you know, or why would you do it? That's right. But in my mind, I just remember being on stage, right. you know, w- off stage, waiting for him to finish opening at the, at the front in Vermont, bombing, mm-hmm. just going like, come on, come on in. I'll just bring me up. 
you don't have to stay up there. Isn't know? that sort of Larry David's trajectory too? He was that sure. kind of comic. I, I, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, but I think he was a little more and it's honest just so with Dizzy because like you will be hated by the crowd and you can bear it because you believe in yourself. So but much. he would that I, I could not do. I think he Larry uh, was actually angry at them. It seems. Mm-hmm. But David was doing something abstract. Oh, interesting. Okay. Like David was, you know, he would do these characters. I mean, he was definitely alienating them and he knew he would, but it was truly funny. Mm-hmm. You know, like he he did all these different characters. He would do very, you know, he would take real chances with, you know, he would go up on stage doing a gay voice uh-huh. for for like 10 minutes. Okay. And, 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 and go so over the top with it that people would start, you know, laughing. And he would stop and go, I don't know if you're laughing at me <laughs> or you're laughing. <laughs> and he really kind of took it. That's funny. It was more Kaufman-esque than just I love that fuck stuff. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But uh, so that's interesting. So John was a, was a family friend, Katz. Yeah. And, is, yeah. and you guys, how's he doing? He's doing the, good. Oh, yeah. good, good, good. Yeah, I, he's lived with MS for so long. Yeah, he, uh, yeah, he actually... He emailed me. I think he 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 emailed me complimenting me on something. It was very nice. He he's always been a sweet guy. Sent really you a good guitar. F- no, he didn't send me a guitar. Good friends with David Mamet, who I, yeah. which is hard to understand sometimes. But you go back with people, and as yeah, they yeah. change, sometimes you just tolerate it. Mm-hmm. But so, how did he impact you? So you're saying that as you were a kid, the funny people that uh that had an influence on you john was one yeah well he was a one-liner guy sure and you know very written and structured so yeah. i thought that's what comedy was yeah um and that was but who'd you watch um like who were your heroes mitch hedberg was an early yeah hero so that was a good those are the comics yeah one-liner people blew me away rodney um, really I was him. too young to get Rodney. Now I do. Yeah. Yeah, but I didn't get Norm MacDonald, obviously timely. But yeah, the people you see on SNL. How old are you now? I'm 42. Oh, so yep. you're getting up there. Yeah. You're a grown person. I'm no kid. Yeah. So I like the Jewish idea. Like I used to, <laughs> like I, I wrote a bit about, you know, when you read Jewish literature, you read biblical tales or you read the Bible in general. That I, I think the line I wrote was in in Christianity the wages of sin are is death and in Judaism the wages of sin are negotiable. Uh huh. That there seemed to be an ongoing conversation. Well, Simon Rich, you yeah. know him, one of my favorite comedy writers. Yeah. And he has a very sort of Judaically influenced, I think, sort of moral. It's funny Judaism, yeah, because yeah, you are always negotiating with God, and it's so legalistic. Yes. You yes. Know, well, I, if you do this, but then that. If you think of it this way, right. And that's funny. Yeah, it's it, funny to negotiate. Well, yeah, the back God and forth is funny. It. It's very logic-based. But it's also a conversation with with the, the explanations of behavior, mm-hmm. of spirituality, of God, mm-hmm. of what's right and wrong. You know, it's just this ongoing yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, and but but I I, I assume that that the Jewish tradition, like I just find it kind of fascinating that this book that your dad wrote is 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 sort of like, it's all over, it, it covers everything. Mm-hmm. It covers, you know, like those t- Talmudic tales, Hasidic, yeah. you know, the Hasidic tales mm-hmm. and one-liners. The wise and, men of Helm. Yeah, and you know, and also comics. Yeah. Like actual Lenny, comics. Lenny Bruce. But but no, but like, you know, like Oh, graphic. comic strips, yeah, yeah. Mad Magazine is in yeah, there, yeah. yeah, all kinds of things. So. I you never your dad never sat you down and said you're funny. They were always more concerned with your weird sort of unbridled. They were ambition. concerned about me. Um, my dad loved when I was a comedy writer. Did not like me being a performer. I could tell. Never oh, yeah? said it, but didn't like it. 
very un-Canadian. Uh-huh. Um, and he's a ghostwriter, so it's like the opposite of He never invisible. wrote a nice novel? He wrote a little nonfiction. Yeah. Yeah, but he didn't write a novel. But And this nonfiction, how, did you read it? Well, his first book, uh, and good for him, was about marijuana in 1980 uh-huh. called High Culture. And he yeah. was like, he always donated to that cause before it was cool. And I always so he's like, he admired liked the that. weed? Yeah. Yeah. A lot. I didn't know that he was doing drugs, quote unquote, until I was much older. You did But yeah, he smoked weed every night of my life. <laughs> and I did not know, even though he was a kaleidoscope collector, among other things, um, and would just crack up watching cartoons with me at night or The Simpsons yeah. or Seinfeld every night. Right. Ice cream and, and you know, comedy. And yeah. he's, it was, made him very happy. It still does. Yeah. Um, but he didn't write that. And then, you know, my parents, you know, when I did a prank or something, my dad would my mom would be anxious. My dad would like it. But they, they did not think of me as... A funny as, kid? No, they thought I was funny, sure. Yeah, but yeah. they, you know... I don't... Yeah. Yeah. You don't think I that. think they thought that I would maybe get in trouble mm. for that stuff, you know? Like, so, so, but they were, like, they were supportive and it seems pretty well grounded and not, uh, you, know, ex- you know, pushing you in any direction. They were just sort of like, you, you know, whatever you want to do, you I, do it. I guess so. They didn't seem that interested. They weren't... <laughs> They're nice. They were very all over me, but they never were like, what are your plans or goals? I would tell them goals and they'd be like, hey, calm down. Like they made my mom very nervous. Uh-huh. Yeah. Really? Uh-huh. Why? I don't, she's a very anxious person. Once I told her, um, um, can you believe Elon Musk is worth $20 billion? Yeah. And she said, oh. I said, did you just get nervous he would lose it? And she said, I guess I did. <laughs> like she's just nervous about success or, or The responsibility or of it. I don't know. They yeah. didn't, they did not like that I was so driven, because huh. they thought you. But it wasn't because they 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 were concerned. My about... dad liked it more than my mom. My mom was very anxious about it. My dad, yeah. But they, but they, it wasn't. They were they concerned that you weren't that you were going to come up against the problem that you seem to have, which is you know, can you be your comfortable, authentic self ever? They, they weren't separate. They, they should you, have been because I am. They weren't that enlightened. They, they weren't separating that from ambition. I They're like, they if just, all you care mom's... about is success, then how are you going to know who you are? My mom's biggest fear yeah. was that I would be weird. <laughs> and I remember I was in like kindergarten and I yeah. would walk around the play. I still remember vividly walking around the playground thinking things. And yeah. my mom said to me once, she must have been tipped off. What do you do during recess? Mm-hmm. And I said, I... I go for a walk and I think about things. And she looked so panicked. And she said, you do not do that at, at recess. You play with the other kids. I said, I don't know how. She said, you go up to those kids and you say, what are you playing? Can I play with you? And so I did. And they said, sure. Right. And I played kickball from right. then on. But right. like, I never forgot. She was very nervous that I would be weird. You never forgot how nice it was to just walk and think about no, things? No, still, I still do it all the time. <laughs> I never too. got to. Me too. Yeah. Constantly. It's like it's the job in a way. Yeah, it's totally the job. But it's like it doesn't feel like a job. And then you go home and write down what you thought about. Exactly. Yeah. Or you work something out and you're like, oh, that's that's the angle. Yeah. That's my ideal is you go for a walk, you think about, you let your mind wander, you come up with things and then you go home and write them and then it never feels like work. But I get excited when I like I get like I don't read a lot of fiction because I, I want my brain to be provoked and a lot mm-hmm. of times fiction doesn't do that for me. Mm-hmm. So, like, I just read some new Douglas Copeland thing that he wrote with some other people called The Extreme Self about, you know, technology's effect on our sense of self and mm-hmm. the sort of expansion of, of what we leave in the world through technology. So, like, for me, like, that coincides with some things I'm thinking about and trying to execute on stage. And, and then I get excited. Mm-hmm. So, how do you 
how do you stay out of just thought loops? But I guess you have a I project. Don't. So like when you have to write seven shows, 10 no, shows. No, I obsess. I obsess. You do? Yeah, it's a big problem. I obsess. And part of the reason, yeah. Like about what? Oh, God. Like which story to choose, which, oh. how to write everything. I change my mind constantly. I lose sleep over right. a scene that doesn't matter. And then I change it back. And then I say, wait, can you can you pull the edit of this episode? I, I, the scene should be different. And they're like, I, we can't unlock it. And I say, we got it. Like I'm constantly. Oh, really? Yeah. But see, I think the difference then, like, you know, I, I, I think I'm finding somewhat of a difference between you and me that would, obviously there were plenty and I'm not comparing yourself to me, but on some point, on some level I am, we've chosen a similar path, but I, I do something much different and make, you know, much less impact. So the, the idea for me though, when I'm thinking about stuff, I really need to solve big problems that have to do with my understanding of the fucking world. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, when you've created a world that you're servicing, at least it's you have a context that enables you. When you have a story, mm-hmm. you're like, well, this is the puzzle. And, you know, this has an impact and it's informed by the, the bigger picture. Uh-huh. But this is my story within that I'm exploring. Yeah, but I'm still working out what if I'm just removing my I'm doing the same thing you are, but I'm removing myself from it. I'm saying it's not what if this happened to me? What would I do? No, Here's I get I that. Yeah, so, yeah. But that's but the, the same problem. Thing. But that's the problem. Isn't that the problem with me? Trying? Yes. Uh, well, yes and no. In a good way, it leads to a story that more people can grab onto. I guess. Because if it's Jim and Pam instead of you and your ex on the office, like, oh, okay, now you've kind of created something more universal. I get and that. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, but, but honestly, though. I can write for them. I can't write nearly as well about me and whoever I'm doing. But I'm assuming that, you know, when I watch those five episodes, that the only character that seemed truly informed by by maybe who parts of who you really are mm-hmm. was that guy on the stand. Uh, to me, the only person is Lola Kirk in The Commenter, the woman who is driven crazy by a single anonymous comment online. Oh, okay. That's the one I felt okay. was me. Yeah. Okay. So politically and in terms of where you stand as a, a progressive. Or... I'm not that progressive. You know, I didn't relate to him that much. Okay. But okay. Yeah. So the commenter. So that's you. That's really. Me. Yeah. So, so, okay. That makes Which sense. Which is probably why I was obsessed with coming on your show. You know? that, that makes sense yeah. though, because, because that character, like, you know, I, I go through that. Yeah. You know, like I, you know, and I, so those were, that's interesting. So that was a crisis for you. That, so that the plot of that is a woman who is getting constant and, and convincing positive feedback from everyone in her life. Yes. Gets one negative anonymous comment online and becomes obsessed with it and pulls that thread and gets more and more feedback that uh-huh. seems to be right. Yes. And she starts to trust that only the commenter is honest with her and she throws away her life to pursue the commenter. Yes. That to me is my sort of fear and fantasy that someone out there is knows more and and it was what um drove me creatively when i was doing stand-up was that idea of the audience will know what to think of what i'm they'll tell me if this joke works or doesn't or if they are comfortable you'll know immediately you'll know immediately and they're right sure and i do think that a a better level to be at as a comic is i don't know everyone's probably different set point is and i think you know, Larry David and, and David Cross might yeah. be at the other extreme right. of I know what I think is funny yes. and I don't give a fuck what you think. Well, you all, you all, at some point you have to get there and I think you've gotten there to some degree. You know, well, it's, this it's show is very much like this is what I think. Yeah, it's yeah. not it's not, not as a stand-up, but I mean, at some point you have to you, you yeah. do in, in order to, to survive and, and 
you have to at least believe that what you're doing is 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 well is I the job. I remember one comment you said about me online that was very funny and I liked it uh, was I said they say the biggest risk to take is no risk at all so I'm gonna take I'm gonna be a, like a you know boldest motherfucker out there and take no risks uh-huh. and you said seems to be working out for you. <laughs> And I was like, damn, that is a very good burn. That is a very good burn. I get, I get that. And, uh, and yeah, so now I am. So now I am. This show definitely does, you know? Well, that's good. Well, I think it's interesting that, that thing, because I'm trying to figure out what my experience with, with being trolled is. And I did an episode of Marin that was actually about me pursuing a guy named Dragon Master to a Dungeons and Dragons game and figuring out where that guy was to ask him, mm-hmm. why does mm-hmm. he keep doing this to me? And he basically he was just like, I don't like you. It, it wasn't uh-huh. as, as, as you know, thoughtful and, and sort of. Uh, but it was more personal or more directly personal. Uh, it, it was. It, it was based on a real thing, but it was a similar experience where a guy just went, was relentless about you know some of my comedy and and was picking it apart uh, on on a, a comment board, mm-hmm. you, you know, and just accusing me of all these things, and it was really killing me. And because it it resonated. Well, yeah, be, but yeah. your insecurity, you know, exactly. is 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 genuine. But it doesn't mean that you know those voices are correct. You know, mm-hmm. the voices that you have inside of yourself that say you suck. That you know that that's not credible necessarily. It, it's just part of your fucking engine. Right. That uh, that. It, but then when someone else says it, you're like, that's what I was thinking. Well, the, yeah, but then but then then, then I'm sure some people, some people told you. But how come you don't pay attention to all the good ones? Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you know what of I mean? Of course, yeah. You know, so I, I, you know, I tried to figure out what the fundamental issue in me around that stuff was, and I've I've done some research, and I've got a, a working model mm-hmm. of of what that is. I could tell you what that is, but I don't know if it resonates with with your life. My well, I, I got it from a guy named Robert Firestone, who wrote a book called The Fantasy Bond, mm-hmm. and the idea is that if your parents were selfish uh, or emotionally negligent. Or maybe emotionally abusive, which mine weren't, but negligent, sure. Where you know you're sort of left to your own devices because they were not the nurturing type, or mm-hmm. necessarily you know equipped to to be selfless enough to properly parent or let you develop your own you know sense of self, yeah. or, or you become an extension of their panic or whatever. The idea was that if you feel uncomfortable as a kid, and it's because of your parents' emotional. Uh, position in your life, mm-hmm. you're not going to know that. So if you feel awkward as a kid, you can't blame them because they're your parents. They're the best. Well, this, yeah. So you're going to blame you. Mm-hmm. So then the voice you put inside your head at a very young age is you, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not this enough mm-hmm. because that's the parents you invented because your parents clearly can't be the blame. Mm-hmm. So it must be you. And that voice stays there. Mm-hmm. That was mind blowing to me. Yeah. <laughs> Does that affect you at all? I don't. I think it's mine. Must be so subtle. Really? Yeah. Because hey, my parents. I mean, I've read it? your book. I know how dramatic yeah. your childhood was compared to mine. My, I did not have a dramatic childhood, and yet I do have all these issues. So I, I don't, don't know, know if it's dramatic. They were just. They were just self. Your dad's a dramatic character. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. Yeah. My dad's a very undramatic character. Well, but that could that, that could do it. Yeah, that could, that's what I'm saying. Is you can put anything on anything. You've got you've got, well, I know I don't he know. wasn't you, dramatic enough. You've just got the boring version of it. Honestly, of the boring the boring version. You know, of it's a, funny a mo- emotional neglect. I had yes, I had a therapist, <laughs> and I said, you know, yeah. I can't complain. Like my daddy, you know, my dad has a great subtle sense of humor, and I said, my dad, like, 
you know, he always remembered me. He always reminded me of David Letterman. And he yeah. said, but you wanted Jimmy Fallon. I was like, I wanted Jimmy Fallon. I wanted like a rousing. Letterman is you know, one of the, um, um, I love Letterman. I know, but I love my dad. But he's one of the most emotionally crippled that's, public people that's in the a good, world. That's interesting. I never connected that. <laughs> I, I mean, the, the more we hear from Letterman, you're like, oh my God. Yeah. You know, he was like holding things pretty tight, yeah, man. Yep, yep. That's true. I don't know what my dad has. In there? That he's held in his Canadian reserve. Canadian Jewish. So it's, yeah, but I, I get it. But I yep. mean, but you know, you haven't thoroughly investigated this. It's not pressing enough for you to honor your authenticity and your ability to be comfortable in your own fucking uh, yeah, self. Yeah, no, you're right. It's it's my it's my new number one priority. This What, starting now? Starting this Today? Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's been on my mind, yeah. I'd like to figure it out. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because like that whole thing, I mean... Well, because I'd like to be more honest, I, you know. Well, is it... But Well, I don't I'd know. I'd like to be happier. You yeah. know, I'd like Would everything. Would you, though? Yeah. Yeah. I also think, and this is also very convenient logic, I think I'm much more productive and creative when I'm happy. That is where I get all my best So you've stuff. been happy? I've been happy, yeah. Uh. I go in and out. When I'm happy, I'm better. I don't know. A lot of people feel more inspired when they're miserable i don't yeah I, I i like i don't think it's a choice like you know that whole sort of paradigm of like you're just miserable because you think it makes you more creative like i don't choose to do whatever mm-hmm. the fuck my brain is doing mm-hmm. you know i've gone periods where i don't know if i've been happy but i've been more self-accepting <laughs> you know and i have peace of mind yeah and i'm not you know freaking out about something that the and then you're just honest about that and funny about that. Uh, yeah, I try yeah, you to just be, react to wherever you are. Yeah, yeah, I know, but but it doesn't. You know, people don't necessarily feel safe as an audience with that. With that, which I I think we're I'm gathering is another difference in terms of you know why I see that maybe we have something in common. Yet you know, however you've managed your life, uh, you know, enables you to have a lot more of your shit together uh, than I ever did. And again, I'm older than you, and we're not. We are totally different people, but. The truth is, because I'm primarily a stand-up and you know now an actor, and I do the mm-hmm. podcast. It's like when I, I just did five shows in St. Louis because I'm trying to put together a new hour, and it, you know during the late shows, I do clubs, you know, so I can do the work mm-hmm. to build it out. And the only way I can do the work is to improvise. So, second show when it gets weird and I'm bored with myself, and I start talking very personally about my girlfriend's tragic death or my fucking parents. You know, I realize, like, you know, is this entertainment? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, but it's what I do. So I, I don't think that I'm for everybody, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that I, I ever was. There was never a safety wall How, between me. When did you know you weren't for everybody? Because I just found it out about myself. Yeah, but but the thing is, you're for enough people in a general way. I mean, you, you have parents who have kids that love your book. You have, you know, uh, short fiction that sold very well. So you're of an ilk of people that you... You're, you're Can not, be more generally crowd-pleasing, is what well, you're saying. Not just crowd-pleasing, but but of a, a way. Mm-hmm. You, you know, like, I relate to that guy. You know, I'd like to meet him. He, he doesn't scare me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that like in your life, no matter how many relationships you've been in, you know, the the women you've been with aren't going like, yeah, he's a very scary man. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's some, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, things can hide behind subtlety. Uh-huh. You know, you're looking at me like, oh, I see it. I see it right now. The anger? No, not anger, but, but just, just you like, know, crazy. Like, yeah, you know, whatever. Insecure, yeah, no one jealous. is. I thought for many years, I'm the one. I'm like Jerry Seinfeld. I'm the one who is not fucked up. I'm the one who's just. Did you listen to his interview with me? 
Yeah. He couldn't be more fucked up. That guy, there's no one more fucked up well, than Jerry that, Seinfeld. there you go. It's always, it, Mulaney, it's always who you least expect. You know, Mulaney was the most normal guy. Now you're like, oh, okay, that's yeah, what you Yeah, but did. when I met him, I'm like, what's going on in there? Same well, with you. Same with Seinfeld. Well, yeah. Same with you. No, I By the way, I'm on. relieved. I want, I want some of that to come out. You know, well, what what are you going to do? How are you going to do I'm it? Doing therapy. Uh-huh. I'm, I resolved. Have, on you this started, show. have you started doing stand up again? I'd like to. I want to. But it, you're laughing at me. Are you could do a one bed show uh, like Neil Brennan at the Terry Lane. <laughs> I, I want to. And I, I think I will. Neil, um, Neil Brennan is very self-actualized in, in, in yeah, he's self-aware. And but he was very depressed, but depressed, but also time. like, you know, and a he, mess a he's bit. able to track. You know, so much of his issues to, yeah. you know, a fairly alcoholic family. And there was, you know, definitely kind of general groups of of, of a certain type of recovery that were available to him yeah. for him to process yeah. a lot of that but stuff. But I think, yeah, I, I would like to go do it again, but I would I would want to do something very different. And so that's another motivation to sort of find but, who I really but am. But, you know, Jerry doesn't think he's fucked up. He I, just, that's what I'm, and I didn't either, is what I'm saying. You but know, you know but it. But he still d- doesn't. I don't know if I know it. You know, like, I mean, like, again, the the... Well, I know it about me, but with Jerry, like my belief about what comedy is and what it can do is very different than his. Mm-hmm. But what you did see in him was, you know, emotionally he's he's Close wrapped off. very tight. Yeah. And that, you know, and that there there is you know a certain amount of darkness there and you can track it in that interview. Mm-hmm. The guy was brought up by two orphans. Yeah. That I was mean, insane to learn. Like, That's like a like, parody of. Yeah. How you, neither one of them were parented. And yes, how do yes. you know how to be parents? So like he's like left to his own devices right. to put himself together. And that's who he becomes, the most Tight. put together exactly. comic ever. So yeah. what happened to you? Well, I don't know. What do you mean? Stop I it. I don't know what happened Come to me. Come on, you're a smart guy. You thought well, about when, it. When it bursts out, I'll oh. be the greatest comic. Do you finally. ever cry? Yeah. About do what? Ever... <laughs> 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 oh, man. I don't know. All kinds of things. Uh-huh. Yeah. You don't buy it. Do you cry? I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm about You're to cry now. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you just don't want to, man. Maybe like you know, cause I, I do. What do I keep saying? I don't know, but I'm gonna say I don't want but to. But see, I knew like I knew with Mulaney only because like you know he'd been sober so goddamn long right. since he was like a kid, right? And you know, and he's another guy, you know, hyper achiever, you know, tight, right. you know, right. control freaky guy in a right. way, you know, in terms of his work. Like, you know, apparently he's processing all this stuff on stage because now his fucking life is public because he's a big enough celebrity to draw that kind of attention. Mm -hmm. So now he has to reckon with it in his jokes. But he always kind of did. But he always had sort of a patter that hid the darkness. Yeah. You know, that there was that sort of like, you know, this kind of almost 1940s talk Mm -hmm. that that hid the the real darkness of what he was talking about. But it Mm -hmm. was always sort of there. Right. And Seinfeld, too. Seinfeld, you know, I guess. even his sort of most easygoing stuff has a lot of sort of bitterness turned into I think affability. So. I, I, yes. Which I, is a great yeah. weapon of it. I, I, yeah. And I, then there's Larry David powering the TV show along with him. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah that made it's sense. It's a great combination. Yeah. So, all right. So this show, what would you, someone said you were in my hometown. Was it for this show? It was for the movie I shot. Yeah. What's the, what is Vengeance. It? I was in Albuquerque. Yeah. When's yeah. that coming out? Uh <laughs> You say that like that's never coming out. No, I'm I'm saying that this is just another thing you've done. How much uh, you did uh, you know? You never stop working. It seems, and I don't know why I'm spiteful about that. Because there's part of me. It's like, when are you gonna just relax and figure out who the fuck you are, yeah. so we can all well, assess I, you properly? Yes. No, I need to do that. I need to do that. No, you don't. Yeah, I do. You I never want have to, to do that for yourself. Yeah, for myself. Uh, By the way, I lived at Odenkirk's house. And then I the know. Other, the other day, I turn on my HBO Max, and there's an Odenkirk account. 
So he's he's using my HBO Max. Oh, is he the fucker? Yeah. Oh, why not? Uh, <laughs> why no, not he. But he. No, I was the, honored. I love. He bought that, that house from a guy he's I grew up with. Oh, cool. What was I going to say? Uh, oh, the other issue was, I think that what people criticize you about, specifically me and Andy Kinley. Yes. <laughs> I was like, yes. <laughs> Is that you know you got uh, you got a golden ticket right uh, out of Harvard right and because you did the whole thing right you did you did the lampoon you did the hasty pudding or whatever or whatever I did the lampoon yeah and did what was the other silly show that, I didn't do that the hasty pudding I didn't do that was isn't there another one there's a is that that's what, the one yeah. that's the one yeah so you did the lampoon right which I visited it's so weird you know it's they amazing. had me come over to you know you know give me the prize mm-hmm. but I don't drink or nothing which mm-hmm. seemed to disappoint them so uh, but they invite me over to do that ceremony there yeah. and I'm like these guys are fucking kids this what is this yeah it's, like, a, yeah, it's it, amazing but it become mythic in my head it is and mythic I'm, look oh they you're saying they were just kids yeah yeah but yeah, that yeah. building and those ceremonies yeah, is yeah. crazy yeah I don't know much about them other than the one where they give the yeah. guy the thing and I, I I think that everybody was disappointed okay I, I don't think they were that excited yeah and they you know like because like usually they want to drink or you gotta yeah you, but they you, knew that about you if they're I guess a, I don't know man so huh. what's so amazing about it I I mean if you didn't respond to it, you didn't respond to it. It's just, well, it's no, like I like this, the lampoon. I like it. it yeah, they it's this turned. psychotic thing. This or, this castle built by an yeah. insane person on an yeah. island in Harvard Square yeah. where 18-year-olds yeah. at Harvard who yeah. could go in any direction they want instead devote their lives to the most um, esoteric comedy and anti-comedy to make each other laugh. I mean, it's this insane system. That and is so the to system. to me, to, I understand the privilege that I a come from and look like I come from, yeah. But to mitigate it, yeah, it was fucking hard to get into Harvard. It was yeah. fucking hard to go through that lampoon. It makes you nuts, yeah. You know, and um, and so that is that's its own thing. I'm not saying that Andy Kindler is wrong that I got a golden ticket, but like in my mind, it's like, hey, dude, yeah. I worked so like I heard that Conan was in the lampoon. I was like, I got I got to get into Harvard and go to the lampoon, you know? So, but that was the thing is that you always put the work in to get there. That, you know, those of us who, yeah. you know, like I... But it would be also fun to like, you know, have fun along the way. But you did not. No. I mean, I liked what I was doing, but <laughs> The lampoon like, was fun though. You seemed to get excited about it. Yeah. It's, it's a fascinating thing. Fun? No? No fun? It's a lot of fun and okay. a lot of like, a lot of like, you know, spiraling about what the hell is this thing? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's weird. So when you're so, but but you have dreams about it for the rest of your life if you're in it. Really? Yeah. This sounds like hard, like traumatic. Yeah, I think it's probably like not that it's nearly as important because it's the most irrelevant thing in the world. But like SNL, people that are on SNL, right? They dream I get about it, I get it for it. years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's but, just this weird high pressure thing. But isn't there like sort of like isn't there a a, a kind of a, did 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 you doesn't I've talked to other people about this and I I you know I I wish I I had more discipline as a kid and and, and could have gotten into Harvard, but I did not. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless. Isn't there some sort of older boys network that kind of functions in Hollywood? Is that a myth that when you come out of Hollywood, if you did well at the Lampoon or if you have a reputation within these circles, aren't there people that are like, you should check out this kid, Novak. He's writing a thing. So Greg Daniels Mm -hmm. knew about you from somebody else. Yeah. Yes. As as, uh, Andy Kindler would say. Yes. Bip-bop-boop. Right. Uh Uh-huh. 
That said, I get it being on the other side of it. It's like, okay, these people were literally trained. Yeah. It's like a pre-professional program in comedy Yes, for like A students and you have your own show and you're freaking out. Right. And you're like, I have five slots. I have seven slots. Yeah. You know, I, okay, who do you know? Right. So I get it. Okay. You know. Right. So you got a shot because you did the work, but the, the work that you did is seen mistakenly so perhaps as privileged mistakenly a little bit and mm. a little bit totally true yeah of course i grew up, i also look i grew up in the kind of like healthy suburban yeah like book filled house right that, right that that was a very reasonable does that even shot. exist anymore any is it going to even exist anymore no i don't think it does because i think that you know when i was growing up you picture like oh ames iowa yeah you know any yeah. town you haven't heard of you assume is idyllic now yeah. any town you haven't heard of you assume is like a methed out wasteland or you, you assume it's an option. What do you mean? That people are leaving for those towns, dude. I was just in St. Louis, man. Oh. And, you know, people, cost of living's cheap. It's, mm. it's sort of on right, the- Right, yeah. It's it's, all, now it's evening out again. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of on the it's up weird. and up. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're renovating. There's, you know, I mean, you know, gentrifying, you know, whatever your opinions about that right, are. Right. But I mean, a lot of these places- like, well, Vermont's not a meth hole, but I mean, like, I've been- No, to... are you kidding? Vermont is the biggest heroin problem in the country. Heroin's different. Yeah, it's well... a slower situation. <laughs> but but uh... <laughs> It's a problem no, along no, I get I get the lines along the... of meth. Yeah. yeah. But I'm saying that a lot of these, these non-coastal cities that have a good cost of living and some, you know, some urban infrastructure are, are appealing to people. Yeah. I mean, this place is like, I think it's all going to be on fire soon. Right. And-, and <laughs> And and whatever's going on in the East Coast, it's going to be water involved. Well, it was the first time recently I heard someone say we're gonna um, we're gonna leave for fire season. Yeah, no, I've, I did a bit about that in my last special. Oh, really? Yeah, that you know, like I like it's a little early this year. Fire, mm-hmm. yeah, no, 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 for sure. Yeah, but uh, but anyways, just to recon- reconfigure your sense of Ames, Iowa. Yeah, isn't that where the uh, the uh, the University of Iowa is? Yeah, yeah, that's why program? it was in my mind. Yeah, oh, I don't know. That's Iowa City. But Ames has has a big university there. Iowa City. Yeah, Iowa City is the Iowa famous City. writer's thing. Yeah, Iowa City is idyllic, for sure. Well, I'm going to Bloomington, You've Indiana been everywhere. next week. I haven't been everywhere. And Bloomington, like itself, the college town is kind of interesting, but it's a little weird. But oh, everything surrounding it. Well, every it's college town there. in a red state. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't know what happens to that life. I mean, you know, you caught the tail end of it, I think, your generation. Mm-hmm. Like, because the people I worshipped. We're probably, you know, of your father's generation or maybe a little older. How old is he? He is 72. Yeah. Like that crew of, of intellectuals who sort of came up in the 70s. I mean, those are the guys that defined most of what we think is funny. And it sounds like, if anything, you got a good dose of that from growing up around it. Plus yeah. the whoever was um, appealing and, and more age uh, uh, alike to you. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I don't know what happens now. I don't know where it all Nobody goes. Nobody knows, yeah. It, everything's so fucking decentralized. And also, yeah, it's decentralized and what do you, I mean, I think stand-up is where it is right now, don't you think? Well, I, well, stand-up's become very tribalized and unfortunately, you know, what's being pushed culturally is provocative stand-up and, you know, uh, you know, the enemy seems to be progressivism. So I, I don't know. Like uh, that, you know, this sort of anti-woke movement mm-hmm. of stand-up is a little problematic mm-hmm. and i don't know that there's much pushback in any organized way against it okay. but it seemed to be taking up a lot of space the uh mm-hmm. you know fuck you you know you can't censor me but thing. i mean as a form mm. as a form like what is the ultimate thing to aspire to well the, I, like look again now i think stand-up is bigger than movies 
No. I don't know. I, I really don't know what everyone's taken in. Do you know? I know nobody I've, knows anymore. I've that's got, it. Right. There's no there's yeah, no cultural hierarchy anymore. That's right. Yeah. And that's that's I don't know what to do with that. You you're it. No, it's shifting. No, but you're you're the the poster of what the what beginning it is now. of whatever. It yeah. Is, yeah. But I mean, I I don't like I don't know what to do with it because I don't know. But that's the thing. You don't do anything with it. I guess you're it. But like, but like, how many people are going to watch your show? And is it going to be enough? Enough in terms of I don't know. Like, what do you what are you hoping to you know glean from that? You uh, get an award, or are you right. like concerned about you know like how many people are watching? How do we find yeah, out? I, now? I want all of that stuff, but what what really is it is like that some teenager like I was will see that and always talk about it, always think about it, and I don't watch award shows. I but you're okay with one teenager? No, I want millions, but like yeah. I want, you know, but it's about I don't care. Like to me, the South Park guys are the ultimate. Right, like you never see them at the fucking Emmys. They're not like they're not like directing a Marvel movie because it's status. Right, they make South Park, and everyone who sees South Park knows what the hell it is. They're at another level, you know. You don't think you could wrap your brain around directing a Marvel movie if you were asked? Uh, no, I couldn't. But what if you? They were like, but you can bring your thing to yeah. it. I just don't like Marvel movies. Me neither. Yeah. But I mean, but if you thought like, well, maybe I could do one, but you know, push back against the Marvel. <laughs> that would be just self justification. I would. Exactly. I, I know, yeah, I couldn't. Okay. On that level, I couldn't. Look, man, I shit on Marvel movies, and I was in the Joker for two seconds. That's not a Marvel movie. Exactly. That I could, I could do. It. That's yeah. You could do the DC. King of Comedy version. That's cool. Right. So I would say, well, if it's like, but yeah, I did say that. Yeah. It didn't if it's like the Mister Show version right. of a Marvel movie, and now I'm doing movie, a voice for DC Super Pets, and people are like, "This is the guy that doesn't like comic book movies." It's different. It's DC well, and yeah, it's DC a, isn't Marvel. A voice is different. Yeah, yeah. sure. I would. I'm, I'm I would read the sides. Yeah. You know. Yeah, play Lex Luthor for the dog versions of uh, the superheroes. That's cool. All right, fine. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but, uh, all right, so what's Vengeance about, dude? Vengeance, I play a podcaster, an aspiring podcaster. Oh, so you're in it. I'm in it. Yeah. And you wrote it. Yeah, and directed it. Uh-huh. What are you trying to prove, man? Where's uh, it? Like, you've done everything. So, like, where does this level off? Is it just that you want to keep doing everything and, uh, you know, like you've done the acting, you've done the writing, you've done a little bit of stand up, you direct. And now like you're hosting an anthology show where you talk at the beginning and write all of them. And now I, is this is this the, the drive to greatness? Yeah. Like, yeah. I okay. mean, it's just but it's excitement. Like I, I take that walk and I'm like, oh, that would be a cool movie. And then this would happen. And then I do that. And then I, I do it like that. And then you, I try to make good on all those things that yeah. I come up with. Okay. And it's exciting. And your your experience in getting opportunities to do these things is that your past opportunities have shown enough benefit or profit that you're given opportunities or that you're that you seem totally capable of, of of handling what you're asking for. Why do you get so many opportunities? I think, you know, some combination of willing it into being and looking like the kind of guy that wouldn't screw it up. Right. Now, what's the movie about? It's a podcaster. Podcaster, uh, kind of fuckboy, as it were, um, who a girl that he was casually hooking up yeah. with dies of an overdose in West Texas. Oh. And then he is, uh, the family yeah. thought that they were very, very serious relationships. So he's kind of guilted into going to the funeral. Yeah. When he's there, the brother, played by Boyd Holbrook, yeah. says, um, you know, we need to avenge her death. I call my podcast producer, played by Issa Rae, and say, I have a great story about this yeah. you know, poor, devastated red state family that thinks they need vengeance for something. Yeah. And so it's sort of like this, you know, it's with Blumhouse, it's sort of like a red state, uh -huh. like blue state podcast intellectual uh -huh. like 
thriller. Type yeah. Thing. It's fun. It, and it's all done? It's all shot. Yeah, I'm editing it now. Yeah, and how's it come out? How's it look? I think it's great, but we'll see. And you don't have you don't know the future of it. Uh, it will come out, right? But but you know nobody knows the future of any movie now. What I does know. that mean? Is it in theaters? Is I it know. Peacock. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. How do you do? And do people watch them? But they won't tell you. I don't know. You know. Well, look. Do you feel better about us? I'm I'm kind of blown away. Yeah. I'm looking. You seem very. Yeah. open and vulnerable and true i don't Good. know what you're gonna say about me in the intro oh no, that's what i get do you feel like you've been open and vulnerable and true as much yeah. as you can yeah i don't know what i feel like i've lost this I, a part of me is sad i'm oh, like yeah. oh no Wait, so i'm okay with mark yeah yeah you're like don't, don't worry about that yeah so but i mean ultimately you're gonna have to come back when you have the catharsis that enables you to somehow connect your true self to something that's comfortable in the world? Yeah. Yeah. Should we make a date? Should it be next Rosh Hashanah? Yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> it was good talking to you. Amazing. BJ Novak. The premise is streaming now on FX on Hulu with new episodes every Thursday. You can go to WTFPod.com slash tour if you want to see where I'll be playing, where there are tickets available. Uh, that's getting harder to do. Uh, the Ridgefield Playhouse, that's November 11th, two days before my New York show. I believe there are tickets available for that. November 13th, New York Comedy Festival at Town Hall. That might be, uh, sold out. Um, I don't know. Go check. I should know these things. I don't. There is a music show happening that hasn't been announced. And, um, yeah, that's where, where we're at. Let me play some mild metal for you now. I'm working on my metal. sloppy at the end. I know it got sloppy at the end. I know. I know it got sloppy at the end. Everybody gets sloppy at the end. <laughs>